Let me tell you a story, podcast number 95. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Call me Ishmael. It was the age of wisdom. Some years ago. Never mind it is a how truth long You don't know about me without you. Welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story with your hosts, Steve and Becky Lyles. Settle back into your seat, step onto your favorite fitness machine or a lace of your walking shoes, and enjoy stories from a variety of genres and authors. Hi, this is Steve. Hi, this is Becky. Welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story. I'll start us off with another Agatha the Cat haiku to get you in the mood for a Roger Pond essay. In case you're curious, Agatha resides in Oregon. Yes, it's 2 a.m., but there's turkey in my dish. I want whitefish. Now! I'm going to read from Roger Pond's book, Take the Kids Fishing, They're Better Than Worms. This essay is called Orange Shoes. The sport of fishing has certainly changed over the years. I can remember when a well-stocked tackle box contained a few lazy ikes and a package of rubber worms. Today's well-heeled fisherman has more equipment than he can ever use and a complete wardrobe to go along with it. We've come a long way from the days when we fished with what we had and wore whatever we could find. That's the way it was when my cousin Dean made his ill-fated fishing trip back in the 60s. Dean was just out of college and recently married. He didn't have a lot of money for fishing equipment or clothes. He found some rods and lures, but the only fishing shoes he could find were an old pair his dad bought many years before. The old shoes were comfortable enough, but they had one small flaw. They were bright, shiny orange. Who cares, Dean thought. We're just going fishing. So he and his buddy Jim loaded up the car and headed for Dale Hollow Reservoir. To make a long story short, the two young fellows caught nothing in three days of hard fishing, while an old guy down the way returned to the dock each noon with a nice stringer of fish. Finally, Dean couldn't stand it any longer. He laced up his shoes and walked over to talk with the old fisherman. The old-timer wasn't very friendly, but Dean is pretty good at breaking the ice with strangers. That's a nice stringer of fish you've got there, he said. If a couple of guys like my buddy and I wanted to duplicate the good fishing you've been having, what would you suggest we use? The old guy stared at the ground for a few seconds and said dryly, If I was you, I think I'd use them orange shoes. This didn't improve the young men's trip, and they headed for home a couple of days later. My cousin and his buddy were barely on the road before Dean needed a restroom. No problem, Jim said. I need some gas anyway. We'll stop at the next station. They finally found a gas station, and Dean ran for the restroom. He headed for the first stall he could find. Cousin Dean was just thinking what a nice place this was when he looked down and saw a blue skirt rustling in the stall beside him. Oh no, I'm in the wrong restroom, he thought. He headed for the door at the first opportunity and ran back to the car. Have you paid for the gas yet? He asked his buddy. Not yet. Why? Let's get out of here, Dean said. The two guys handed the attendant a $10 bill and jumped in their car. As they pointed their car toward the freeway, A woman's voice rang out from inside the station. And he was wearing orange shoes! I'll be reading from Patricia Deal's latest novel, Deborah, Deborah. 
Chapter 1 Sibyl Spring, Missouri Late August, 2005 The dust billowed from our gravel driveway, obscuring my last glimpse of Seth's Toyota pickup. My nest was now empty, with him gone. Well, Derek, my husband, was still around, but he hardly counted since he spent most of his time at the office. Seth's older brother, Brad, had left last week on his Harley, saddlebags loaded with clothes and other necessities, and the passenger area behind him filled with camping gear, including a one-man tent all stuffed into a very large backpack. Brad had worked summers for his father the past five years, and now he was ready for adventure with a pocket full of cash. When Derek had asked him at dinner one evening last month if he intended to continue working at Tri-State Energy, Brad's answer was a quick no. He expanded his answer by saying, I want to travel the United States coastlines, including the borders. When I run out of money, I'll stop and work for a while to get some more cash, and then get back on the road. His decision to leave Sybil Spring was not a surprise because he had told us at the end of the school year he was finished with college at the present. I knew one reason for Brad's yen for seeing the country was our lack of family vacations. Derek was always too busy, with the exception of a trip to Disneyland, which had been piggybacked with the Solar Energy Conference. The boys were in elementary school and had begged to go on another vacation the next year, but it never materialized. Understanding his reasoning didn't make me feel any better about Brad's plans. How will we know where you are? I protested. What if you have an accident? I could hear the petulance in my voice, but I didn't care. I needed to know where my child was. It didn't matter that he was 21 years old. I'll call you once a week, Mom, Brad assured me. I know you're a worrywart. Well, thanks a lot, Brad, I groused. It's true, Deborah. Just be glad Brad intends to call you every week, inserted Derek. My husband was always ready to support Brad's spontaneous ideas. I should have been accustomed to it by now. I said no more, but hugged my hurt feelings to myself. So now, Seth was gone too, heading for the University of Missouri campus in Kansas City. He could have gone to the community college here in Sybil Spring, at least for a year or so. Disgruntled thoughts and confused emotions accompanied me as I turned to go back inside our ranch-style home. I noticed how dust from the road had settled on the delicate crimson American Beauty roses I'd planted on either side of the front steps. Their fragrance displaced by the powdery haze still hanging in the air made me sneeze. Walking into my living room usually gave me a sense of deep pleasure, but despite the white noise of the air conditioner, I felt smothered in silence, the silence of an empty house. Heading for the kitchen, I tuned the Bose XM radio to my favorite station, featuring standards from earlier years. Peggy Lee's mellow voice floated over the sound waves, singing, Is that all there is? My sentiments exactly. My sons didn't need me anymore, and my husband was too engrossed in his business to even think of my needs, whatever they were. He would only notice my absence if his laundry didn't get done every week, and breakfast wasn't on the table every morning at 7.15. I knew I was indulging myself in a depressed Deb debacle, but wasn't I allowed? On top of that, the waistbands of my slacks and skirts were getting uncomfortable. An empty nest and middle-aged spread all at the same time was so unfair. I gazed aimlessly around my immaculate kitchen, wondering what to do with myself. I had cleaned Brad's bedroom last Saturday, feeling at times like I needed a shovel. His personal grooming habits would receive a passing grade, but his housekeeping would flunk him. 
Totally opposite was my Seth, who abhorred all disorder, chaos, and confrontation. That is, until he made it clear back in March that he did not intend to go to college in Civil Spring. I didn't have the heart to check his room at the moment, but when I did, I knew it would be clean and orderly. The only items appearing somewhat chaotic were the wannabe marketing ads he plastered on one wall, announcing the latest computer games he created. Seth lived to create the games and loved anything having to do with computers. So I allowed this apparent outlet of aberration to cover one wall of my carefully decorated home. I prided myself on doing all my own housework. I had always been a homemaker, so I viewed the care of my family and our house and grounds as my career. Derek clearly appreciated a well-kept house and home-cooked meals prepared by a wife who took care of her appearance. The boys liked having Mom available for school field trips and volunteering homemade goodies for class parties. Well, at least until the teenage years. Most of the time I'd felt fulfilled and happy with my life. The song on the radio finished and my emotions echoed the repeated question, Is that all there is? I sat at the kitchen bar, covered my face, and sobbed. The satisfaction I had always enjoyed seemed to dissolve with the silence of my house and a matching hollowness in my heart. Call Carla, the thought entered my head. My best friend almost always knew what to do in any given situation, starting back in our college days when we were sweetmates at the door. I had lost the key to my room, and all I could do was wring my hands, thinking I would be sent home for not having enough common sense to keep track of it. Sensible Carla, who seemed to never have a fearful bone in her body, said, Go tell the residence hall aide you've lost your key, and she'll tell you how to get another one. Sure enough, that's all I needed to do, beside paying for the key. So yes, I should call Carla. Her line was busy, and I hung up in disgust at myself. Couldn't I work through this case of the dismals without her help? I fixed a ham and cheese sandwich, opened a bag of Doritos, and poured a small glass of cran apple juice. With the first bite of my sandwich, the bread stuck to the roof of my mouth. My throat convulsed, and I began to cry, nearly choking. Finally getting myself under control, I ate the ham and cheese and tossed the bread. I washed my hands, blotted my eyes with cold water, and tried calling Carla again. This time I was in luck. But the moment she answered the phone, I once again burst into tears. Deborah? Is this Deborah? Of course it's me, I sniffed. Well, you don't sound like yourself. Are you okay? No, I'm not okay. Can you come over? She only lived ten minutes away from my house, so I didn't feel like I was being too much of a pest. Sure. I just need to finish putting the veggies in the crock pot with the roast. Are you bleeding or broken or... No, nothing like that. Seth left for school this morning, and I'm all alone. My sobbing began again. Carla said, All right, Deb, I'm hanging up now so I can get over there ASAP. Bye, hun. She hung up the same time I said goodbye. I flopped down on my recliner in the family room, turning to look out the window at the side yard. A hummingbird feeder hung outside the window with a glorious array of flowering plants, strategically placed so that certain colors were blue at certain times. But today I couldn't appreciate the lovely yellow and orange hues, because my heart felt so bruised. I mused. I feel worse now than when my mother died. The doorbell rang and I rose to let Carla in. One glance at her, and my tears started again. There now, Deb, she said. Let's go sit in the kitchen and have a cup of tea. That was Carla's usual opening gambit for ironing out solutions to problems. She knew where the tea bags were located, so I allowed her to be hostess. 
I wiped my eyes and blew my nose again. Minutes later, with constant comment, teabags spreading their essence through the hot cups of water she had poured, Carla asked, Feeling any better? I managed a weak smile and answered, I almost always feel better when my best friend is waiting on me. She smiled and said, Now that I have been awarded the Haskins Medal of Valor, tell me, what caused your meltdown? I looked at her while propping my chin on folded hands. Watching Seth drive away to college and knowing he will not be the same son I have known and loved for 18 years lit the match to my emotional bonfire. It's not like you haven't known he was leaving home, Deb, came Carla's calm voice. I know, and that's the weird part. We raised our boys to be thinking, independent men. We hoped they would go on to college and become men of integrity. I would rather Seth had attended college here in Sibyl Spring for a year, but at least he's going on to school. It's disappointing that Brad is not finishing a degree, but he is showing independence with a goal of sorts. He's traveling the United States in his own fashion and not asking us to bankroll him in the process. We sat in silence for a moment. So what's the problem, Deb? she asked. I wish I knew. Does every mother have this kind of nauseous, topsy-turvy feeling when her children leave? I feel like my nerve endings have been sandpapered. Have you talked to Derek about how you're feeling? I flapped my hand in dismissal. We haven't had a quiet, alone time to talk about anything pertaining to us for months. If I suggest going out for coffee during the day, he's always too busy. And evening meals together seem to be a thing of the past. He didn't even get home in time to eat dinner with us last night. I started to cloud up again at the thought of such insensitive behavior. Carla took a swallow of tea and set her cup down again with a thoughtful look on her face. You need to pour your energies into something new. What about working part-time at the flower shop or substitute teaching? I sighed. Right now I feel so drained, I hardly have enough energy to dust my floors. Standing up for four hours a day, making friendly with customers, or trying to stay ahead of a classroom determined to sink the sub, just doesn't appeal to me. Thinking back to our early history, she said, I remember you yearning to write the world's greatest novel. Plus, you had this insatiable thirst to read every book you saw. Oh, those were the days, weren't they, I replied. I haven't written anything except letters and shopping lists in the last 20 years. As for the reading, it seems like I jumped from Dr. Seuss to scanning better homes and gardens. At that, my best friend straightened so suddenly her chair scooted an inch or two on my kitchen tiles. I've got it. Why not go back to college here in Sybil Spring? You can try classes that interest you instead of following a specific course of study until you know the direction you want to take. Carla was beaming with delight. I didn't have the heart to shoot her down, but I was definitely less excited at the prospect than she was. I haven't had to study anything in over 20 years, Carla, and I might be in the same classes as some of Seth's classmates. Are you whining, being prideful, or just trying to weasel out of this idea? Carla laughed, picked up her cup and saucer and carried them to the sink. I really do need to go. I'm the carpool mother this week for my neighborhood's middle school students. Her youngest was now in sixth grader, and she took her school responsibilities very seriously. By the way, she said, have you noticed your tears have dried? I think my insightful idea of going back to school is a stroke of genius. She was laughing as I walked her to the door. And hugging me to go- goodbye, she had the definite last word. And Deb, I suggest you buy a home pregnancy test just to be sure you aren't refilling this empty nest of yours. 
I gasped in part indignation and part laughter. You are impossible. What are friends for, she asked, and waved as she opened her car door. Carla's parting words were so far off course, I snorted in derision. Then I remembered the last time Derek had gotten friendly. It was back in early June, and he'd come home late smelling of alcohol. He was more relaxed than usual, and one thing led to another. It was true my monthly cycle was off-kilter, but it had been for months. Her lackadaisical love life had lulled me into laxity with my birth control pills. Maybe I should go to the doctor for a checkup. I really didn't understand menopause or perimenopause, although it seemed like I should be too young at age 42 to deal with any of those problems. These thoughts at first pushed all else from my mind as I sat back down at the kitchen table. But then I took a deeper breath and began to ponder the idea of returning to college. Maybe I should just call the college and see if I could even register for classes at this late date. The local community college wouldn't necessarily begin at the same time as Seth's campus. Stop dithering and just call them, Deborah, I scolded myself. Then the next time you talk to Carla, you can tell her it was too late to register for classes. I smugly found the phone number, was forwarded to the correct office, and discovered I still had one day of grace. I got the directions to the registration location and hung up. What have I done? I grumbled silently. This kind of spontaneity was the sort of thing Carla would do, or even Derek. Suddenly, I was thinking fondly of how I met him. Our residence hall had monthly birthday parties, thanks to our R.A., a handsome, sandy-haired 25-year-old named Derek Haskins. His creative ways to get students acquainted with each other sometimes got him in trouble with the hall supervisor, but the students liked and respected him. I was a floor leader during my sophomore year, and I had also noticed the charisma Derek exuded. It was during the second birthday party in October that Derek noticed me. Hi, Deborah, came a smoky baritone voice above and to my left. I turned around to see the hunk, as several of the girls had labeled him. I smiled when I realized who had spoken. Enjoying the birthday party, he asked. Yes, food services did a great job, I replied. And by the way, I think this is a wonderful idea. Why, thank you, ma'am. He smiled and then continued. And when might your birthday be? March 19. You're kidding, right? No, why should I be kidding about my birthday? Because March 19 is my birthday, too. I think such a coincidence calls for a celebration. Well, we are celebrating, I pointed out. No, I mean just for us on the discovery of identical birthdays. How about meeting me at the sandwich shack tomorrow for lunch? I agreed, thinking nasty thoughts of how cheap he was on his dates and even doubting that our birthdays were the same. It was probably just a really creative pickup line. I had to take back my ungracious thoughts later as I learned Derek was taking light class loads because he was not only putting himself through college but also supporting his widowed mother. I also learned he had other siblings, but they were either doing time or involved in poverty line relationships and marriages. That fact was not something Derek easily communicated because he liked things to appear in perfect order. He once told me I first caught his eye because I appeared to be so serene, whatever the situation. Unfortunately, controlling my circumstances hid underlying fears. Handsome Derek, with his warm brown eyes, graduated at the end of that year with a degree in business administration. By spring, he had persuaded me my future would be one of endless delight if I became Mrs. Derek Haskins, 
We were married by the middle of June that same year, and I soon became pregnant. Since I was enchanted with the idea of being married and being a mother, I decided that continuing college was not to be my life's course in the near future. Now, 22 years later, I was resuming my education. Well, at least one type of education. Learning how to be a wife, a mother, a neighbor, and a responsible member of society as a spouse of a successful businessman all took the form of education. Now I was learning to deal with an empty nest. But it shouldn't be empty, should it? Just because their sons had left home didn't mean there was no home. I had a husband, didn't I? I frowned at the thought of Derek and our relationship, or lack of one. Were we a successful couple? Brad was born so early in our marriage we never really had a chance to experience couplehood as husband and wife. I could begin tonight by telling Derek how upset I felt at Seth's leaving and that I was going back to college. The idea was a great one, but it takes two to communicate. Derek didn't fall into bed until nearly midnight. I was awakened by the protests of the springs on his side of the bed and a definite reek of alcoholic fumes. I turned away in disgust and immediately went back to sleep. The next morning I awoke to mixed emotions, anticipating my college registration and disgusted at Derek's perceived weakness with alcohol. Plus, I still clung to the sadness of both my boys being gone from home. I had bacon frying when Derek shuffled down the stairs. He sat at the kitchen bar, poured himself a cup of coffee from the coffee maker sitting handily at his elbow, and took a sip of the hot brew. Thank God for coffee, he rasped. I looked at him and saw dark circles under his eyes, brown eyes appearing bloodshot in the morning sunshine. You look horrible, I commented. Good morning to you, too, he growled picking up his cup for a second swallow of caffeine. Derek, when did you start drinking so much? I'm worried about you becoming an alcoholic like your dad. What will people think? And you shouldn't drive when you've been drinking. Enough of the third degree, Deborah. I have some important deals going right now at the company, and happy hour's a good time to bond with the guys. Besides, I need to relax. And as far as me becoming like my dad... You don't have a clue what you're talking about. He slid off the kitchen stool and said, Forget breakfast. I don't feel like eating. He was out the door before I could marshal my thoughts to apologize for my last comment. I knew his father had been a poor provider, often drinking the money needed for groceries and rent. Derek delivered newspapers from the age of nine until he was old enough to get a higher-paying job working in the local grocery store. He was the one who saw to it that his mom and younger siblings had at least something to eat during the times his dad went on drinking binges. My tears were back, plopping into the frying pan and making the grease sizzle. One spat and jumped up, burning my wrist as I moved the skillet off the burner. My appetite disappeared completely as I ran cold water over the red spot on my arm. Now I found myself crying over my cruel comment to Derek and his pathetic excuse for using alcohol to relax. What was happening to us? All of a sudden, it seemed like our comfortable little world was disintegrating. Here's a Eugene Shea poem called The Young Assistant. My job with the city was something of a pity. Numerous were the hats I wore. I was run to death and I'd catch my breath and then I'd run some more. So I went to my boss, said, hang the cost, an assistant you must pay. Well, a helper they hired until I retired, still a few years away. He was only a lad, this helper I had. Little they paid him per week. 
His work was amazing. I stood back appraising as extra tasks he would seek. Never a coffee break or a rest he would take, for he was the workingest one. Ere I found the tools and checked the rules, he'd have the job half done. I spoke to the mayor, said it wasn't fair to a lad of his ambition. I spread on the praise, asked for him a raise in best municipal tradition. Money was short, but the mayor was a sport. I'll find him a fund I can rob. And wouldn't you know, they let me go and gave the turkey my job. Another one by Eugene Shea. New great-grandchild. Welcome aboard, ye newborn, to this spaceship we call Earth. It's a strange but wonderful world you've inherited with your birth. The newest cog in the cog wheels, where fate and fortunes are whirled. Today we change your diapers. Tomorrow you change the world. You are the wave of the future. Each generation has its day. Our children's children have children, and we old codgers fade away. The future of the world awaits you. Every newborn boy or girl, make this world your oyster, and you will be its pearl. We're going to close out with this poem by Suzanne McCone. She prefaces this one with the words, We haven't a moment to waste. Enjoy them all. And she titled this poem, Live. Live a loose life, ignoring the divots gouged by the moments of freedoms you've missed. Live a tight life and get carried away in a beautiful, random, meaningless tryst. Live to the tune of the balance of sadness offset by a joyful, delicious refrain. Play in the past, dance in the present, run from the future like life is a game. Live next door to many opinions. Move out of the house that won't let you forget. Take a quick journey outside of yourself. Dine by the roadside of choice and regret. When life gives you lemons, say, Thank you, but no. Jump quick into mischief and saunter out slow. Live your life well. Put on a show. Live life like you've got only miles to go. Live for the day Pray for the night. Light life up like a red autumn sky. Live from your heart without any restraint. Always receive from those who won't take. Moments are tokens, expensive to give. We're all a hot mess, so for heaven's sake, live. That's all for this time. Thanks for listening. Until next time, happy reading. Thank you for listening to Let Me Tell You a Story. Please email your comments, suggestions, and submissions to story at beckylyles.com. Steve and Becky like to hear your thoughts, and they encourage authors to send stories and other short prose and poetry for them to read on the podcast. You can learn more about Becky's books by visiting beckylyles.com or by searching for her books online. Her nonfiction titles can be found under the name Becky Lyles and her fiction under Rebecca Carrie Lyles. All of her books are available in both print and ebook formats. Winds of Wyoming and Winds of Freedom are also offered in audio format online. That's all for now. Tune in next time to enjoy a fresh assortment of stories on Let Me Tell You a Story.